Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther, the powerful statement on that day, which was the day the Jewish people were to be delivered and Mordecai received authority from the king. This message is available for free download on iTunes or at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's uh, pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that the king is coming. And Lord, we've sung about it today. This is such a thrilling song. And it's the focus of our lives. The King is coming. And we pray, Lord, that through the preaching and the Word of God, that we might become faithful so that when He does come, when you do come, Lord Jesus, that you'll be able to say to us, yes, you knew I was coming and you were faithful to me. And so help us today, Lord, to alter our lives, that we might be a people that others will look at and say, there's a people that are waiting for their King to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow along, please, in Esther chapter 8, the chapter we're going to be studying this morning. And uh, Esther chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jew's enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman, and Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king, and said, If it please the king, if I have found grace if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, if I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring, for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof, and it was written to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews, and to the lieutenants, and the deputies, and rulers of the provinces, which are from India unto Ethiopia, a hundred and twenty and seven provinces, unto every province, according to the writing thereof, unto every people, after their language or tongue, and to the Jews, according to their writing, and according to their language tongue. And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name, and sealed it with the king's ring, and sent letters by post on horseback, and riders on mules, camels, young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar. The uh, copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, and that the Jews should be ready 
against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the posts that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan, the palace or citadel. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness and a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews. For the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Now, in our last study, you remember in chapter 7, we had reached this real crisis point for the Jewish people. Their deliverer, Esther, was at a crisis point in her own life. And the counselor of Esther, Mordecai, they were separated from each other as they had been for years. And in chapter 7, we had reached the point where Mordecai was going to be destroyed. The gallows for Mordecai had already been built. They were 150 feet tall. And Haman, the destroyer, was on his way to the king to ask for Mordecai's life so that it would be hung on the gallows. And we saw, we saw as we studied this, how great God was by causing an insomnia one night to lead the king to see the loyalty of Mordecai and then to exalt Mordecai, which he did. We saw how great God was by causing Esther's faith in God to be strengthened as she had to trust God that she would not be destroyed for appearing before the king in the court without being invited. We saw how great God was by not wanting Haman to perish, but to come to repentance as God gave him, as we saw, several advisors and several circumstances to repent, and several spaces of time to repent. We saw the focused spirit of Esther, Hadassah, in just how resolved she was when she refused to be distracted from her life mission when she was offered half the kingdom by the king. We saw how unashamed Esther was to be called a Jewess, a Hebrew, as she knew That when she did, she might very well be writing her own death sentence. But she, like Moses from Hebrews 11.25, chose when she did that to suffer affliction with the people of God than to turn her back on the Jewish people in order to just enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We saw the humility of Esther as she cast herself on the mercy of King Ahasuerus and begged for her life and for the life of her people. When we saw Haman hanged on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai, we saw the fulfillment of Proverbs 26, 27, which says, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it shall return upon him. Now, that's what we've seen so far as we've been studying in our study of Esther. And now when we come to Esther chapter 8, it opens with these words. On that day, notice how it starts. On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jew's enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. Those three words set the tone for this chapter. 
on that day. It could be looked at as the most important words of this verse, of this whole chapter, because what happened on this day is absolutely startling. It's an emphasis that everything happens on this day. On that day, everything happened so fast, it made everyone's, you made, you made your head swim to the end of that day. You sit down, and you go to sleep, and you say, what happened today? Because everything changed on this day. So many things happened on that day. On that day, Esther revealed to the king that she was Jewish. And with that disclosure, she took her place along the side, the people who were slated for destruction, just as the Lord Jesus Christ did. It reminds us of how he took his place alongside the people slated for destruction, it says in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As Esther took her place alongside the people slated for destruction, so the Lord Jesus Christ took his place alongside man slated for destruction so that he could save man from destruction, and she did it so that she could save the Jewish people from destruction. On that day, Haman's devilish plan to destroy Esther and Mordecai, whom the king loved. Mordecai was a man that the king loved because he saved his own life. But on that day, the devilish plan of Haman was disclosed. It was all made bare and open. On that day, that was Haman's last day on earth. As Haman, the destroyer of the Jewish people, was destroyed and he was hanged on the gallows that he built for Mordecai on that day. On that day, that was the day when the Jewish people, the beginning of their salvation, the beginning of their deliverance, the beginning of when they would be saved from the destruction starts on that day. But for King Ahasuerus, it was quite a day too, because on that day, he learned that his wife is Jewish. Maybe on that day, she told him that her real name is Hadassah, I don't know. But she probably told the king that she wanted to tell him for a long time that she was Jewish, but she didn't. But on that day, the king learns that he's married to a Jewess, of all things. And this must have come as a shock to the king, Because to have learned that without him even knowing, he had been influenced to hate the people of his wife, the Jewish people, and to order with his ring their destruction. But he's learned that the one he loves, Esther, is Jewish. And at that moment, King Ahasuerus' opinion of the Jewish people probably changed dramatically. Because he's learned his wife is Jewish. He didn't know that. You think about King Ahasuerus and him coming to this realization That's a picture of Gentile Christians. Why? Because Gentile Christians understand that the one they love with all their heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, is Jewish. That's just like King Ahasuerus, who on that day came to understand that his wife, who he loved, was Jewish. And so first we see how the king, in this verse, gives to Esther the house and all the belongings of Haman. And he was a rich man. Haman, so he gave her all that he had. You remember, he was going to pay all that money for the destruction of the Jews out of his own his own coffers. So King Ahasuerus gives it all to Esther, and verse 1 tells us that in addition to everything else that's happened, on that day, when he gives all these belongings, on that day, there's one more event that happens in verse 1, 
And that is, it says, Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. So now Esther and Mordecai are reunited. She hasn't seen him for over five years. Once she entered the palace, she had no more contact with the outside. Now, she didn't see Mordecai. And so when they communicated with each other, we saw in the past, it was not face-to-face. It was through the servant, big fan, and anyway, they talked to one another through her servant. And we saw that happen. And the last words that she heard from Mordecai were the words that were already referenced this morning in Esther 4, 13 through 14, where Mordecai, her counselor, the one who had trained her, the one who had led her and brought her into the knowledge of God, her counselor gave his last words to her in Esther 4.13 when he told her, don't think of your own life. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. This was a man who was so close to her intimate thinking that he knew what she was thinking and he, even though they've been separated for so many years, interjects right into her thought process and says, don't think that in yourself, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, and that was the emphasis, Esther, it's all about this time, at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Don't think, Esther, that you're indispensable in God's plan, because he's going to save the Jews, and if you don't step up to the plate, God will bring another one up to the plate. God always has a David in the fold if a Saul fails. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And then he says, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this, as this one right now. So those were the last words that were in Esther's mind, the last words that Mordecai had spoken to Esther, and that she must now risk her life for the Jewish people. And if she refused to risk her life for the Jewish people, then she and her father's house would be destroyed. The last words that Esther said then to Mordecai were Esther 4, 6, where she said, fast for me. She said, fast for me. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. Those are the last words. That's the last words. Well, with that exchange of those last words between them, They both entered into dark tunnels. They went into the dark tunnels of uncertainty. Fasting, praying to God, Esther all alone, as she has been in that palace for five years, enters into the dark tunnel of uncertainty of what will happen to her. And it shows in her words, if I perish, I perish. But she's going to go through that tunnel And now they have emerged through the tunnel in our chapter here. The tunnel, and it's the best outcome that they could have hoped for. The favor of the king, the destruction of the destroyer, and the ability to save the Jews. And so finally, Esther in this verse is reunited with Mordecai. And now Esther is so happy, not just to tell the king that she's Jewish, but Esther is so happy to present to the king Mordecai, her cousin who in effect was like a father to her, was her counselor, was her instructor, was her guide. And so it says here, Esther had told, in verse 1, what he was unto her. And so she would say to the king, King, everything I am, my character, my how I was brought up, I owe to this man. This man here, this Mordecai, is unto me as a father. 
And Esther tells the king that this Mordecai, he's like a father to me. And so when he tells the king, when she tells the king this, that he's been her counselor, that he's been like her backbone all during this time, we come now to verse 2, and now the spotlight, focus to the spotlight, is changing. And the spotlight which had been on Esther now focuses over to Mordecai. And Mordecai now, in verse 2, he's given this wealth, and he's made over this wealth, and this ring of authority. In verse 2, the king took off his ring. Literally, it means that he passed his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So now the king takes off the ring that he gave to Mordecai, gives it to him. This is his ring. This is the ring, and he passes it over to Mordecai. And in that act of him passing the ring over, the king is saying to Mordecai that I have confidence in you. If Esther has confidence in you, I have confidence in Esther. I have confidence in you. Absolute confidence that you're going to do the right thing. And now there's a lot of responsibility on Mordecai because he's got to make the next move. He's got this ring. And so then we see Esther, who had just received all this wealth of Haman's house, and now she, she says, you take care of it, Mordecai. I'm going to put you over it. Smart woman. Now, that picture of Mordecai having now received authority from the king and well from Esther that she had been given, that's a picture for us of how we are to be responsible for what God gives to us. What would you do, is a question. What would you do if you came into a lot of money, right? You're thinking, I should only be so lucky. So what would you do if you came into a lot of money, right? What would you do if you won the lottery? You don't play the lottery. Maybe you do, I don't know. Anyway, what would you do if you came into a lot of money? Mordecai just came into, in this verse, a lot of money, a lot of unexpected money, and he came into a lot of authority, a lot of unexpected authority. You know, a, a few years ago, after 25 years of Scanabodies, always borrowing money from the bank, uh, and still remember one CFO as he quit and said, you don't have to bother about the two weeks part. I just want to know that technically you're insolvent. Apart from that, you're fine. <laughs> so we had always borrowed money from the bank. And so, but 25 years ago, something happened. We started putting money in the bank. And then the government awarded me this relator's share for the whistleblower suit against Nichols and Quest Diagnostics. So now there's money which was not there before. It's a new experience. And so to be honest with you, how did I feel? Well, I felt, to be honest with you, a tremendous weight, a huge responsibility of like, you know, it was easy before when there wasn't any money because then there wasn't any, choice, there wasn't any decision what to do with it because it wasn't there. But now the question is, what am I going to do with all this money? And I realized that, that it was not my money. It was not my money. It was the Lord's money. I was responsible for it. Notice how it says in, verse, in this passage here that in verse 1, Esther was given the wealth of Haman. But in verse 2, she didn't give the wealth to Haman. It says to Mordecai, she made Mordecai over the house of Haman. So he was responsible for it, to do the right thing with it. And in business, we know what we do with money. That's what we do. We, we have a certain list of items we do. First, we set a goal with an objective. So in other words, we have a, an idea or a vision or whatever you want to call it, a goal. And that goal has some objective of realizing, we hope, some expected benefits once that goal is reached. 
You know, we're at this place right now in our business. We're about to take 80% of all the money we have in the bank and make two investments to build a building for more space of 270,000 square feet and to uh, start an uh, imaging center with MRI and PET-CT scanners. So anyways, it's going to take about 80% of our money. So we go through this on the small things. We go through this on the big things. First, what's the goal? Okay, build an imaging center, build a building. And what are the, the expected benefits? Because we don't just want a building to look at. We want it to do, you know, be filled with manufacturing and, and uh, find uh, cancer. And so then we make a plan. We make a plan for how we're going to reach that goal. Uh, fortunately, we had land, but then we got to go and interview the different builders and the contracts and the, a lot of things. And so then we ask the first question, what is the percent probability that we can reach that goal, that we can really build that building and the Mexican government is not going to come in and have a revolution and say no more buildings anyway. And then we ask the second question, okay, so let's say we reach that goal. So now, like I said, it's not just to have a building, there should be expected benefits. So the second question is, what is the percent probability that we can realize the expected benefits if we reach the goal. And then, of course, we calculate the investment costs with milestones for what's going to be achieved and how much is going to go out at what time. And then we monitor, as we go ahead, those milestones and costs, and we ask the question all the time, when and if that goal is going to be reached, and then when and if those expected benefits, the result of doing this, are going to be realized. Most of the time, those expected benefits are monetary, or monetary return, a so-called return on investment, like, uh, you know, this is going to become a money-making uh, operation. But many times, those expected benefits are not monetary. For example, with our Christian school, we had a goal, we were making a Christian school and, and to train the kids from their very young to six, six years old. So our expected benefit was that we wanted to make young Mexican Christians who would become little missionaries in their homes and in their, their places. And so, for example, with our Los Angeles Saturday outreach and, and our eight-city summer blitz and the phone-calling campaign and so forth, then our goal, our expected benefit, the goal is to put the teams together and to get the churches where they can spend the nights and dinner and food and transportation and all that. But the expected benefit is that we want to find and place in the hands of at least 400,000 Jewish people per year gospel literature. Now, those expected benefits are not how many Jewish people come to the Lord. Why? Because they don't. But apart from that, also why? Because it's out of our control. That's out of our control, so we can't. Now, based on those costs and percent probabilities of reaching the goals, of realizing those expected benefits, we make the decision. Either we're going to go forward or we're not going to go forward. And then, like I said, we monitor the expenses and, and see whether or not the goals are reached and the expected benefits. And then we make the decision later on. It was good decision in the beginning or it was a bad decision. Sometimes we have good ones, sometimes we don't. So I started to think of God as a businessman making investments and that I was using his money to make investments for him. And I realized that it wasn't just enough to make an investment in a person or an organization just because the person says they're a Christian or a Christian organization or they're a missionary, but exactly the same business principles had to be applied for God's business because the Lord said that he must be about his father's business. So all those important questions came up. What's the goal? What's the expected benefits from reaching that goal? What are the costs for reaching that goal? What is the percent probability 
of reaching the goal? What's the percent probability of reaching the expected benefits of the goal? That's a lot of work, and that's what it means to be a responsible investor. And Mordecai understood that the ring being passed to him was not his ring, and that he was being entrusted with that ring. And he understood that Haman's wealth that he was made over was not his wealth that was given to him. That was, as it says in verse 2, very important words. Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. And Mordecai knew from those words that he had to use the wealth of Haman's house responsibly. So no matter what we have, no matter how much we have, those last words of verse 2 are for us. Because just as Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman, God has set us over what he has given us. And as Mordecai acted responsibly with what he was entrusted to him, so we are to be like Mordecai and to act responsibly with what God has put us over. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Our resource for this month is from Tom Cantor called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53? We'll also include Tom Cantor's personal testimony of how a Jew came to know and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. you receive both of these for a $10 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program and also will match it with a donation from Israel Restoration Ministries towards Jewish evangelism outreach. In the past three years, we've reached over 5 million lost Jewish people with the gospel. So to get these two copies of How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53 and Tom Cantor's testimony, call us today at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Just a $10 or more donation. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org to donate and support us online. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow.